0: Life is hard. Life with chronic, critical, and complex health concerns is even harder. We all know someone who is struggling with health issues or disability. It might even be you. And in the pain and suffering, we wonder if it's possible to move from surviving to thriving. We struggle to hope, struggle to persevere, struggle to trust that God knows what He's doing. But in the struggle, there is real hope, and it's possible to be rooted and ready to weather the storm. Welcome to the Blue STEM Project Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Hello, and welcome to the Blue STEM Project Podcast. We are husband and wife team Brandon and Amy Smith. The Blue STEM Project exists to equip and encourage you in the suffering, hardships, and trials of life that come with health issues and disability. We do this by helping root you in Christ and by giving you the tools you need to be ready for life's greatest obstacles. Amy has this episode off. And today, I get the privilege of sitting down with Ryan Jungling for another Bluestem Project story of hope. Ryan and his wife, Rachel, have endured the sudden and unexpected passing of their infant son, Anders. But in the grief and tragedy, they have seen the faithfulness, compassion, and comfort of God. And I think I speak on behalf of many uh, that the faithful endurance and hope in God that you and Rachel have demonstrated has inspired Uh, and strengthened us. Uh, Ryan is also writing a book about God's work in and through this tragedy, and hopefully it'll be available to the public in maybe the next 12 months. Uh, But yeah, we go back a pretty long ways, brother. (laughs) Yeah, we do. Yes, we do. I think it was probably about 15 years ago uh, as college students, we spent time together in a Bible study in Walsh Hall Walsh Hall, yes. And up at the University <laughs> of North Dakota. And I'm sure at that time we couldn't have imagined uh, what life and marriage and um, the lives of our children would would be like and what God uh, would give us and what he would have us endure for the sake of his, uh, his name. You know, this is a, a very in a way, emotional, um, and painful story to tell, but God has done great things in it. And I'm very thankful for your, I'll even just say what it is, courage, uh, to be willing to share with us, uh, yeah, in light of all that, you know, we're about to hear, but yeah, would you just give us a little background to you and Rachel, the birth of your twins and help mm-hmm. us, yeah, maybe just understand and, 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 and set the scene for what your life was like, you know, before Anders passed away. Yeah. So I met Rachel, uh,
1: in a teaching class in college. It was, uh, it would have been like the fall of 2007. Um, and we started, we started dating in the spring or the winter of 2008 because in Grand Forks, you know, everything is winter until like May. Um, <laughs> but, uh, You know, by the end of 2008, we were we were engaged. Uh, We got married in 2009, and we were we were good. Uh, We wanted to just we were 22 years old, and we wanted just to be married and get to know each other, and and travel, and get jobs somewhere uh, as teachers. And uh, that's kind of how we spent the first couple years um, of our marriage. Uh, I was coaching baseball at the time in the summer, and I was gone a lot. For, for um, Mandan Legion, yeah, for, the, right? Man, yep. for the Mandan Chiefs uh, yep. American Legion team. And I was gone quite a bit in the summer, um, but we were spending a lot of time together uh, in the in the winter, and we really enjoyed that. We would take trips in the summer when we didn't have games, and uh, but three years in, we started to think about having kids, and uh, we we tried, and six months, nine months, a year passed, and Rachel wasn't pregnant. And then it became 15 months and Rachel wasn't pregnant. And then uh, over the next couple of months, uh, we kind of uh, got to the point where Rachel went in and, and saw her doctor and started talking about it. You know, we've tried for a year and a half and, and she's not getting pregnant. And uh, the more that we looked into it, the more, uh, the more the doctors looked into it, uh, the more it became a reality that Rachel probably wasn't going to get pregnant on her own, that there were just things that, that weren't, uh, weren't working like, uh, like they, like they should. Uh, and, uh, mm-hmm. so we started this walk into infertility and treatments and all kinds of appointments and, and just all kinds of things. And so, uh, we spent a couple of years trying to get, um, trying to get pregnant and, and kind of staying in Bismarck to do different, uh, know kind of explore some of our options and then uh, we eventually ended up going to fargo where there's a a fertility center and that's kind of where we we spent uh, about three or four years um, with lots of appointments lots of making that three hour trip uh, early mornings for a you know 45 minute appointment and coming back and uh, rachel was missing a whole lot of work uh, to do lots of lab work and just all kinds of stuff Um, Mm -hmm. And then it was about six and a half, seven years in uh, to this journey uh, into infertility, and and we uh, had done one round of IVF, and it didn't work. And we just we had we had two embryos that we were going to uh, going to try two embryo uh, implantation, and uh, that was going to be it. Like we had already made decisions. Like we were going to tell the nurses and doctors, thank you. And just look into adoption or whatever else would be next. Uh, we were just, we're just, we just had it. It was too much mentally. It was really a, really a struggle.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a long time to walk that journey for sure. For sure. And after
1: the first one, uh, we had, after the first failed, uh, IVF transfer, we had taken about nine months off. Uh, just, it was just too much. And Um, then just, you know, had this last try and and the last try was successful and it was successful with twins. And, uh, that was, that was just a really big relief. Um, but it was such a blessing too. Uh, so yeah, we found out that we were pregnant, uh, with twins and then like looked at each other, like now what we twins, like, how does, how does this going to work? Um. And it was, it was kind of funny. So we would talk to, talk to people about Rachel being pregnant. And she uh, was pretty obvious that she was pregnant pretty early on with twins. And um, the people that we would talk to that just had singletons, just had one baby at a time, like, oh, how are you going to do it? It's going to be so <laughs> difficult. It's going to be impossible. And, and we were thinking the same thing. But everybody we talked to that had twins – said, it's going to be the greatest thing of your life. Hmm. You're going to love it. Hmm. That they, they wouldn't trade it. And they were right, man. Having twins it was so much fun. It was a lot of work, but it was so much fun.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I remember we hadn't connected for a few years and you were in Fargo. Maybe it was actually for some of the treatments or testing, but yeah. you guys had gotten yeah. pregnant and you had texted or called me and said, Hey, mm-hmm. let's meet up and get coffee. I, so mm-hmm. I, I remember exactly where we were and, yeah. and you telling me a little bit of this story and this mm-hmm. journey. And I was, you know, really excited and kind of rejoicing for you guys. And, mm-hmm. and we had walked the infertility journey for a few years as well. So I knew not not as long and, and as far as you guys had, but I knew a little bit of what that felt like. And yeah. I, yeah, I still remember walking out of Caribou Coffee being like yeah. really you know, pretty stoked for you guys. And
1: that that was the, that was the day of the, the, the transfer for the twins. Okay. It was that day because Mm. the, the first time we had driven back to Bismarck right afterwards. And they said, maybe you should just like hang around Fargo for a couple of days. So one of Rachel's best friends is, was living in Fargo at the time who we stayed with, stayed at her place for a couple of days. And that was where, that was where that happened. So,
0: pretty, pretty cool timeline. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to get into it in a second. And you're, you know, I appreciate your courage, brother, to tell us, you know, about Anders passing in a second. But you've also mentioned to me and to others that you really saw God do some very unique things to prepare you uh, before the tragedy of Anders Mm -hmm. passing occurred. Yeah. Would you be willing to tell us just a little bit about that? Yeah. We really did see, um, God
1: at work and some of the, some of the, obviously most of this is going to be looking back, right? Like mm-hmm. after, after Anders dies, uh, most of this can be looking back and, and seeing how God was active in our life. And the infertility uh, journey was definitely kind of the biggest, that, that biggest thing that kind of prepared us a little bit. Uh, we had been, Told by doctors, and we had been told by nurses for years. By the time that Rachel finally got pregnant, that oh, this round looks really good. Everything looks really good Hmm. this month. Oh yes, this is. We're really, really, we're pretty confident in this. And nobody will tell you like you're going to get pregnant this month. Yeah, yeah. But they were sharing this really. uh, They had lots of optimism. They were very hopeful, and. Month after month after month, and you know, three month spans, we were getting told no, that hmm. that wasn't you know that that wasn't viable. That Rachel wasn't pregnant, and over and over again, we had been told that. And so, we kind of understood that that this idea that everything is going to work out perfectly wasn't necessarily the case. Hmm. Um, just personally, I, I really. At the beginning, I kind of felt like science was going to take this, like science mm. is just going to take this, right? Modern
0: like, medicine is going to
1: figure it out. Yep, and and it's going to it's going to increase our chances, and then six months, nine months, eighteen months, Rachel will be pregnant. And what I what I really started to realize after a, a couple of years was that it's not like science is the reason we had Anderson Linnea. That's definitely the reason modern medicine is able to do some things but god is even more critical than modern medicine that um, god is the giver and creator of life and the techniques and all of these advancements yes they come through modern medicine but that is all that all comes from god and when i kind of i kind of got to a point where i was like you know what this science thing doesn't have it figured out. They don't have it guaranteed. That's not the complete answer. Um, I just really started to just have to trust God, like, God, you've got a plan and I don't know what it is and it's not fun right now, but I've just got to trust you. And so kind of looking back, we had experienced a lot of, we had experienced a lot of no's. I won't necessarily say losses. Um, but we had experienced a lot of
0: being told no. And so a that of, was a, a lot of disappointment. Yeah. Disappointment and kind of riding the roller coaster. Yeah. Cause if you hear it, right. If I imagine you hear this is looking great, you know, this gets your hopes up. The odds are high and yeah. then doesn't happen. Yeah. And kind of up, down, up, down. And, and you're saying the i I'll call it what it is, but like the suffering of that roller coaster, God used and did something in your hearts to, strengthen and prepare you is what it sounds like for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
1: Uh, we just, we just had to believe that there was a, there was a plan. It, it wasn't easy. And so we just had to trust God and, um, we had to trust God that stepping forward, uh, that he had, he had something great for his plan out ahead of us. And then when we had twins, it was like, all right, that's, that's the something great. And so that was kind of one of the areas and one of the times we really felt that, um, there were a lot of other like kind of little things, uh, that, that happened as well. Um, but probably the, the thing that the one event like during Anders's life that really sticks out to me, uh, was, it was, he was about nine months, eight, nine months old. It was in October of 2018. Um, I was rocking him to sleep one night and for some reason, I I just started to pray over him that, uh, he would tell others about Jesus. Now we prayed that our kids would know Jesus. We Mm -hmm. prayed that our kids would become followers. But to that point I had never like specifically prayed that my nine month old son would tell others about Jesus. And when I was putting my daughter to bed, I wasn't praying that same thing over her. And I don't know why, hmm. but I just kept praying it over him. And then after Anders died, uh, we were looking through photos and Rachel stopped me. And she said, you see that photo right there? Cause she knew that I had, I had told her what I had been mm-hmm. praying for. And she said, stop right on that photo. She didn't know I had taken a photo of them. And she said, you know what I was praying at that time? I was praying that he would tell others about Jesus. Hmm. And this was a photo from November-ish or October-ish. And that was one of those, like, it was kind of like God was, like, just confirming. Like, I've got you guys. This is really hard, but I've got you. There's something bigger at work here. Hmm.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and if if it's all right, yeah, would you walk us through, you know, as much as you're comfortable and, and feel right in doing so the day or days kind of surrounding Anders passing. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So, um, we just had gotten through Christmas, uh, in 2018, just had turned the new year to 2019. Um, and it was an, an average Thursday just like any other thursday you know with with twins with infant twins with twins that were just about one we're like 20 days from from their birthday um uh, it was a uh, when the when the alarm rang at 5:15 until we left at 7:15 it was all over the place trying to get <laughs> ourselves fed and ready for the day and food ready and trying to feed the twins and change them and diapers and all kinds of stuff um but that day I didn't have many students. It was a semester testing day for us uh, in, in my school And so I just I kind of was looking forward to the day that was ahead and I was just gonna relax and plan for the next semester and I kind of liked those days because I could go out to eat and I'd like all it was just like yes all right normal day but I just kind of had could relax a little bit mm. and um, Rachel took the kids to daycare uh, which was in North Bismarck and. And then she dropped them off at daycare. Uh, she would carry, it was a in-home daycare. And so she would carry the car seats in uh, because she didn't, um, she didn't want to leave one kid in the car and not take in, you know, when she's taking the other one in. So she would just sure. load them both up and go into the daycare and, and she set both the car seats down and the daycare provider uh, grabbed Linnea right away and uh, was taking her out of the car seat. And <clears throat> Linnea had kind of, uh, Linnea was kind of just moving around, crawling around a little bit. And the daycare provider reached down and, and was going to grab Anders uh, out of the car seat. And Rachel looked at Anders and Rachel said, bye, buddy. And he kind of kind of smiled at her and Then she closed the door and went to work. Uh, And It was about 10 o'clock when I got a phone call from Rachel. And it was, I felt like something was wrong. I felt like there was, it was, it was weird. Uh, I knew that we both knew each other's schedules Mm -hmm. and I should have had students at that time. She was going to have students and it was weird that she was calling me at that time.
0: And you kind of sensed like, huh, this isn't. Yeah, at least normal, yeah. or maybe isn't good. Yeah, it
1: not that it, it wasn't normal. You know, it was. Um, she wasn't calling me at ten o'clock unless it was in the middle of the day, unless it was something big. She had kids coming in the sure. room. And yeah, a bunch of seventh graders is not going to let you uh, easily call your your husband just to chat. And so she she got on the phone, and I just remember the she said she said, Ryan, something's wrong with Anders. And the way that she said it, it was like a totally different person. You know, there was just like, there's a lot of fear and brokenness and like, just not knowing. Hmm. Um, and then she, she said, the police are coming to pick me up, Hmm. meet me at the hospital. And she gave me the name of the hospital. And that was pretty much it. It was like, that was the call. And, I I hung up and I didn't even know like what do you do in that situation right like I so I, I ran across the hall and uh, just told my coworker like I've got to go to the hospital I don't know what's happening and he said don't worry about anything we'll take care of everything and I'm like thinking why are the police picking up my wife like this is this is weird this mm-hmm. isn't normal
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but I, I jumped in the car and as I was as I was driving. I just started to pray and um, I, I really just started to pray this. The one thing that I really specifically re- remember praying is that Anders would look like himself. Hmm. I, I I don't know why I was praying that, but that was the one thing that he, he would look like himself, that, you know, something hadn't happened. Um, that was, that was my prayer. And obviously that he so, would be safe and healthy and all this kind of stuff. But that was this really specific prayer um, that I just wanted to see my son. Hmm. So I got on the, I got on the phone and I didn't call my parents. I didn't call obviously Rachel's going to the hospital. I didn't call my parents. I called my pastor and um, I just, I told him whatever I knew the very little I knew as I was driving to the hospital and, and he said, Ryan, I'm on the road right now. I'll meet you there.
0: Hmm.
1: When I pulled up to the light just outside of the hospital, his car was ahead of ours. And that was kind of a, kind of the first time where I really felt like it was an answer to prayer. Hmm. Like I, I wasn't specifically praying that he was gonna be sitting at that light, but I just needed somebody to be there, yeah. right? Somebody to be walking with us in this. And he was sitting there. And so I continued on, went to the emergency room. And, and that's when, you know, there were two police officers in the emergency room. There were doctors, the chaplain was there. And it was just like all these things that pointed to, this is not good. Yeah, um, And Rachel wasn't in Anders's room. She was sitting outside of it. That, I thought that was weird. Um, figured she would be right there, right? Yeah. Um, but when I, when I got to her, so where's Anders? And she pointed and it was just like a sea of people and I couldn't see him because he was being surrounded by everybody. Hmm. So what we found out at the, the police shared some of it, um, shared what they knew. And we found out more later, Uh, but Anders had been never taken out of his car seat at daycare. He was left in his car seat um, by the provider uh, and he fell asleep in his car seat. And he spent over two hours sleeping, um, and that's dangerous. It's not what car seats are meant for. They're not meant to have kids take naps in. And his um, over time, his head fell forward and cut off his ability to breathe. And when the provider found found Anders, uh, he wasn't breathing. Uh, she called. Uh, 911 right away started doing CPR on him and the, the paramedics did CPR on him for 40 minutes and mm. they got his heart started mm. and they were able to get him to the emergency room. So it's kind of another, definitely one of the, that prayer that I prayed that he would look like himself. He looked like himself when I finally got to go see him, when we finally got to go see him, um, but he would, he would never breathe on his own again. Uh, The paramedics breathed for him with a bag for, uh, for a while in the emergency room in Bismarck. And then he was, he was flown to Fargo Hmm. and he spent three days in the hospital in Fargo, uh, hooked up to a a ventilator, um, but never would he, his heart was beating, uh, but never did he take a breath on his own again. Um, Just, there was too much damage. Five minutes is kind of the the time period for bringing somebody back for getting their heart started again. Sure, where brain damage doesn't start to set in. And Andrews was out for at least forty. And so, yeah, so uh, January tenth went from a very normal Thursday uh, to a very abnormal Thursday, and then um, three days later, January twelfth of 2019, Anders, uh, Anders died.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for, for sharing about that, brother. That's really, that's really hard to talk about. If, again, and I want to, you know, be careful and, um, and you're willing to, to talk, but what, what were some of the things kind of going through your mind in the immediate aftermath or maybe in the, Point of crisis between all right, he's in the ER and Bismarck and then he's got to be flown to Fargo and he's there for a few days and yeah if I can ask yeah, what for sure yeah um,
1: when we found out that he was still in his car seat that was puzzling it was very puzzling to us like why was he still in his car seat I remember Rachel and I asking each other, like, were they going somewhere? Where they they never went anywhere. Were, were they going somewhere? What What happened? So you're, you're wondering all the questions. Well, why? Yeah, why yeah. Why the, this occur getting to the getting to the why things happened. And um, I remember I was fixated, so fixated on that we needed to get the car seat to bring with us to Fargo that, you know, when Anders comes home, we got to have a car seat for him. Mm. And I was just fixated on that for like, you know, a little bit of time when we knew we were going to Fargo, I was fixated on that um, until we got out of Bismarck, which felt like 17 hours, but it really was like 45 minutes. Mm. Um, But I just wanted that car seat back because he's going to make it.
0: So yeah, you were pretty hopeful. You had a degree of hopefulness, and I yeah. think yeah. I think any of us as parents would would cling to a degree of hopefulness, or just out of love and desire for to, for our kid to survive and yeah. do well. Yeah. And then
1: when we're on the road, like I never got to the point where I looked up like is five or his 40 minutes, a long time. Hmm. Like I, I was just, so as a coach, I also drove bus. And one of the things that I had to do for bus driving is that I had to go through defensive driving training and like bad weather training for CDL recertification and all these kinds of things. And I had this sheriff came in one time and he was talking about a crash that he came upon. And how he did CPR on somebody for 45 minutes. And they made it. Hmm. So in my head and in my heart, I had heard a story about somebody that had made it after prolonged CPR. Yeah. What I didn't realize until afterwards is that something like that is such a miracle Hmm. that that doesn't happen to most people. Or most of those situations don't turn out the way that that sheriff had shared. And... In in that training, like that, just became this thing. I was like clinging to that little bit of, of like, earthly hope that like, oh, Anders could, and his heart's beating. Mm-hmm. I think we're gonna be okay. I mm-hmm. um, quickly changed when we got to Fargo, and um, I remember on Thursday night, Rachel and I were sitting there, and and there's this high volume ventilator is just like chugging away like a train and like my son's 11 months old he's a really tiny guy i mean he's kind of chunky for 11 months but in a in the hospital bed it did not look like he was you know he's just so small and we kind of looked at each other and just kind of asked the question like is this what life support is I'd always, I'd always envisioned this life support being like a machine that rolls in and it says life support on it. Hmm. But that was like a really hard thing to kind of wrap our head around. Um, That's when it really hit me. I think that like, man, this isn't, this is going to be a completely different life no matter what happens.
0: This is, this is a point where life has changed. What was your, your disposition towards God? in the midst of, you know, let's say maybe the that Thursday mm-hmm. until he eventually passed? What was kind of going through your mind and your heart and the thoughts you were having?
1: You know, I I can only say that it was a God, that, that it was God intervening, um, that we never felt anger at God. We never mm-hmm. were... We never were mad at God. We were mad at the situation. We were mm-hmm. angry for what we were having to go through. We were incredibly sad, but we, we just never felt like I never, especially and, and Rachel didn't either. We never like, like didn't believe that God was there. Didn't believe mm-hmm. that, that God was trustworthy. Uh, we had been through a lot. We had we had already experienced a lot of times that life wasn't the way it we had hoped it would be. Um, so there was a lot of a lot of hope, a lot of prayer, um, and I remember trying to think. I, I remember thinking and praying, just that, especially when we realized how dire the situation was. Um, I remember thinking and praying, just like, Lord, I just want. I just want to actually want what you have planned. Hmm. Like, I, I don't want to I don't want to say it and not feel it. I don't want to hide it. I just I just want whatever you have planned, Lord, I just want to just be okay with it. Not good with it maybe, but you know, just like
0: uh, that's a very remarkable faith and disposition to have in the midst of yeah tragedy
1: i yeah i don't know what it's just like it's just not about us and i don't know why that that was something that happened except for to say that the holy spirit was working and we trusted it it's it sounds kind of corny and cliche, but, but I, that's just what it became that, you know what, we're going to walk through this and God, how do we do it and point people to you?
0: Hmm. Yeah. One of the most helpful statements I heard uh, that, that has really benefited me in suffering, especially with our son Beckett and his needs is, a very tender way of explaining God's sovereign control over, over everything that God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Hmm. And so I hear your story and even in the midst of it, like certainly there's not pleasure in the death of, of a child. Um, but that God who's in control is good. Uh, is allowing something uh, and he wants to accomplish something as well through it and yeah you know part of you being able to tell your story in a lot of places including here and writing a book is is probably we could say one degree of that purpose being realized and there's certainly got to be a lot of levels that we'll we'll never see that you'll never see the side of yeah. uh, of eternity and yeah
1: Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good uh, way to way to look at it and to think about it. That um, you know, I I always wanted to make an impact in people's lives. Like I got into coaching and teaching for that reason to Mm -hmm. make an impact. You know, Um, and there's nothing else that has made more of an impact. In the people I coach and teach, than this, um, you know, I I was an FCA uh, huddle leader for ten years when I was a teacher, and had conversations, had spiritual conversations uh, with students and people that were a part of my huddle, and had spiritual conversations with people that were on the teams that I played on. But there's a different conversation that happens around loss. And it wasn't believers that were asking me questions. Mm -hmm. It was students that were skeptics and students that were searching and students that had been raised in the church and said, well, that's just that thing on Sunday. And that's the thing that now that I'm 17, I'm going to choose not to do. And they were asking me questions like, how do you deal with this? How do you get through this? How do you, how do you show up to work and engage with us? And and that was, that was really good opportunity just to sit down and share my faith with kids that were asking questions and staff members that were asking questions. And that was definitely kind of a a takeaway. I think immediately uh, was just the conversations that it opened up um, to be able to to be able to point to God who when Rachel and I were sitting in the hospital room at the foot of Andrew's bed, um, and we had a conversation with the doctor and it was after it was only 24 hours, which seems crazy, um, but it felt like so long. Hmm. Like I, I learned so much about, medicine and the body and the brain in 24 hours and the doctor looked at us and he just said you know the the parts that make us human i'm pretty sure they're not there anymore that was super Hmm.
0: hard to hear yeah it's crushing
1: and but yet I, i texted so the pastor that was sitting at the light in Bismarck, he drove us to Fargo, hmm. and he stayed with us for three days, and he was by our side. Our families were there, but he was by our side too. And I had texted him. I said, "Paul, I need, I need you now. We need you now." And we just prayed. And we got done praying, and in in Philippians it talks about the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Mm-hmm. We felt that sitting on a hospital. Couch, we felt like indescribable peace. It doesn't make any sense, mm-hmm. except for that God had showed us it. He had opened it up. The Holy Spirit did this work in our lives that
0: was that was life changing, and that yeah, there's no there's nothing else you could attribute that to, but no. the very hand and work of God. No. Absolutely, not. and and yeah, no one's going to convince you he's not there and he doesn't exist, you know, for the rest of your life.
1: Not a chance. I go back to that that moment right there was like everything, everything we needed uh, just to feel that, to feel that peace, and and that's what I would be able to talk to kids about, just like. It's like that, that there's a God and he's real.
0: Yeah. I've found, and there are surveys and statistics that, uh, suggest that this is really a a problem for young people, but is this, this question of if suffering exists, how can a good God exist at the same time? It's actually one of the, the top questions that ends up leading, uh, kids or people you know, people of all ages uh, away from faith and trust in God. And so a story like yours, and probably at least in part why people wanted to ask you questions is, you know, we've all suffered to some degree, and now they see their coach or their teacher really, really go through something tragic and awful and see how you respond. And that question, among, among others, I'm sure, probably prompted some of their, you know, courage to ask or approach you about what, yeah, what, what has sustained you or how have you done this? And certainly the life of Christ within you, sustaining you and caring you was evident to some degree and, and people see it, but they don't probably initially know what that is. And so it becomes what, yeah, how, why, what? Is, is keeping you going. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you
1: know, when I think back of students that I had the most, the most real conversations with, that's exactly what they were asking. Mm-hmm. It wasn't what they were specifically saying, but that's what they were searching for.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because they're, everybody, like you said, everybody's going through some sort of suffering, some element of suffering. And I think teens today, and when we were teenagers, we went through stuff too. Yeah. Um, and teens today are going through stuff. And yeah. some of them are going through a lot of stuff. And I think for a number of people, Kind of like you like you said, if suffering exists, then how could a good God exist at the same time? And that, that question is really difficult um, for a lot of people to wrestle with. And so just being able to I would usually start with some surface level, like when I've been when I've sat down with a couple of kids to talk about this. But then I would tell them like you might not believe what I'm going to say, but I have to tell you hmm. this because it's important.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, I can't just answer it that, oh yeah, well, you know, on some surface level, well, I've got to tell them and, yeah. and to open up and to be, able to, to be able to share the gospel with somebody, whether or not they took steps forward with that, you know, it's just about, planting seeds. And,
0: um,
1: I know that just the relationship between those students and me over the last two and a half years, um, every one of those students like would come back to me later, not maybe to ask about my faith, but, but you could just tell that something had changed the relationship for the better. Hmm. There was an element of trust and I pray for those students quite a bit that they would just, that somebody else would just continue to step into their life and
0: share that same thing. Yeah. Oh, that's great brother. That's awesome. I, I imagine cause I think this is somewhat universal when tragedy strikes. Uh, there are some things we can think of like, man, I was not ready or prepared for that or that, that or this or that aspect really kind of knocked me off my feet. Did you guys have anything that you're like, man, there's no way to prepare for this and yet we have to endure. Are there any aspects of that to the story or the journey?
1: Yeah. I think one of the, one of the things that uh, looking back on was that Rachel and I grieve differently. Hmm. We we handle grief in different ways. Um, I needed to get back to work. I needed to get back to uh, what I thought was some form of normalcy. Uh, sitting around all day was going to do me way more harm than good. Hmm. I needed to see people. Uh, so, it you know we we waited about a. We had, we had the funeral because we're both teachers, uh, because uh, my dad's in education, because I was a coach, because Rachel's parents had lived in Grand Forks for Rachel's entire life. There were all of these groups of people that were going to come and we put it on a Saturday. We had the funeral on a Saturday so that people that wanted to come would come. And I was back in work on Tuesday. After the, the funerals on Saturday, and I was back at work on Tuesday, because I needed to be there. Hmm. Rachel, you, you
0: understood enough about yourself, yeah, even at that time, to realize that that would be somewhat yeah. healthy for you. Yeah, for I, sure. I, I would not be able to do what you just described as how <laughs> I grieve or, or handle things. Uh, right, yeah.
1: and and you know, I think that that's that's something you don't necessarily learn until you get into it until something like that happens, like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have probably said that, you know, before, but in the, in the moment, you know, even the, those five days in between six days in between were crazy busy. Um, But it was like, I just, I just need to get back to what I was doing a little bit. And it wasn't to run away. It Mm was, I needed to, just get back to my students. I had been with them for four or five months, and I needed to get back to my coworkers. and And I just, I just needed that. And Rachel needed to stay home, and so she stayed home for months. And uh, both of those things, I was probably very healthy for her, absolutely. And both those things were great. They were, they were what we needed. And you know, that's one thing that. That I've, I've really taken away from that is that when we get into that situation, some people might make some decisions uh, that are a little, little off, like going back to work three days after your son's funeral. Um, but if those decisions are inherently healthy, good decisions, then that's that's if that's what you think you need, then you might need to do that. You might need to go back to work and. Just to support the other uh, in in a marriage, so to support the spouse in what they need as well. Mm-hmm. So that that part was was one thing that was um, that we didn't really you know anticipate or anything like that. Um, it was also like I hadn't ever, I hadn't really spent time thinking about what does a memorial service look like? What does a funeral look like? Sure. Yeah. And you know, that's pretty shocking when you start to sit down, um, you know, so we got back to Bismarck on Sunday. We spent the night in Fargo on Saturday night after Andrew's died and got to back to Bismarck on Sunday. And then Monday morning, we're like picking out his casket and just doing all that stuff that you just don't want to deal with. You don't, you kind of have to deal with it and you just got to kind of keep going forward. Um, thing that's kind of hit me that I wasn't prepared for and I didn't really, I don't even think I really noticed it at the time, but Andrews was like too big for an infant casket and too small for a like a toddler casket. Hmm. So he's like in this in-between and so he was in a casket that was like way too big for him. But I've kind of reflected on that and like that's that's okay that it's it's like not made perfectly for him because these are just these are mortal human bodies. Like that's not his final resting place. And we're okay with that. Like like that it was it was off because it was off. That mm-hmm. you know, an eleven month old that we were, you know, putting Buying a headstone and burying our eleven-month-old son, and so that that part kind of felt uh, definitely looking back and and even at the time, like it felt a little off. Um, but that's that's kind of just our human bodies in general, right? This is not how God intended for the world to be. Um, you know, sin enters the world and. And so that kind of was a picture of that, you know, know, for me at least. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, you kind of hit on it there. Sounds like the hope of heaven and new bodies, I imagine. You know, that is probably, you know, if, if Christianity is true, Jesus really is the Son of God. He really made a way of salvation through his death and resurrection, his perfect life and that by faith and repentance in him, we have hope of eternal life. Then there is hope as Mm -hmm. parents losing a child that you'll see them again and that it will be infinitely better than it was here. And I, I know our family, you know, we talk a lot about, the things we'll be able to do with Beckett in heaven yeah. that we can't, yeah. you know, do now. And that's a, I don't, I don't even know if I recognize how much I fall back on that. Because mm-hmm. otherwise it would just be really despairing. Yeah. You know, I take my oldest son and we go fishing or we go play basketball outside or, yeah. and I, I think of it as, yeah, my middle son. I, I There is hope. I will do those things with him someday. Mm-hmm. I just got to wait, you know, I'm, yeah, 37 soon. So maybe I got 50 years tops, I suppose. So compared to eternity, mm-hmm. I mean, that's it's still a long time and I don't right. look forward to waiting that long to be able to do some of these things with Beckett. But, um, once we're there, you know, it's it's going to be great for forever. For sure.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, that was. I was always, and I, th- I think a lot of people can identify. And I think a lot of people, like when you, when you think about death, I think a lot of people really struggle with that. And like, what, what is, what is it going to be like? Like, like what's the future like? Yeah. You know? And like, is there something after? I know a lot of people ask that question, especially yep. in Western culture today. Yep. They're asking that question. and, I would, to be honest, before Anders died, there would it would be multiple times a year. I would like not be able to sleep thinking about that. I'm a believer in Jesus. Hmm. I've, I've got the, the hope of heaven, but I was, it was still like in my humanity, it was still really hard to think about. And I would, I would get scared. And now like I, I'm hopeful of it and I'm excited for living the rest of this life and then like you said, ten thousand years infinity.
0: Yeah, yeah graduate forever. graduating
1: to the real deal. Forever. Yeah. And you know when so, the
0: Bible calls these light and momentary afflictions, it's exactly. not exactly a minimizing of pain, but it's in comparison to the inter- eternality of heaven and being in the presence of God yeah it is very dwarfed for sure for sure
1: you know i think of um, so anders is 11 months old and one of the one of the things that just from a very human standpoint is uh, one of rachel's friends was over just a couple weeks before he died and was trying to teach him how to how to clap and he, like, kind of got it. He, like, maybe clapped once in his life. But in the days and weeks after, um, and during the memorial service, we uh, we were given two options. Either it's going to be about, it's going to be just like a memorial service, it can be kind of somber, it will tell your story, or we can make it about Jesus. And that's what our pastor kind of presented as the options and obviously he had a preference and we did too. So we made it a worship service. We sang worship songs and uh, it was about sharing the gospel and to think afterwards, I kind of thought back and the church was rocking and it was, there was so much, you could just feel the presence of God in Mm. that church and to think that like That's what Andrews is experiencing in heaven, Mm -hmm. like worship with the saints and just to think like he couldn't clap and now he's probably dancing around and clapping. Mm -hmm. I don't know what heaven's Mm -hmm. like, but that picture was, was just like really reassuring and calming and like, wow, that's Mm -hmm. awesome that my little guy is just praising Jesus.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a an amazing thought to picture and and meditate on. So, are, are there? I wanted to ask you this: Are there any truths or specific promises from Scripture that really carried you through, or were impactful for you in the midst of of uh, yeah, his Anders passing, funeral, the aftermath? Because it's not over as a parent, you. Yeah the grieving is lifelong. Yeah. And yeah. I, I feel like, um, kind of that first prayer I prayed
1: when I was on the road that, you know, that Anders, you know, I was praying that he would get better. I was praying that he was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but for whatever reason, when I prayed that he would just look like my son, uh, I felt like that was like one of many times that God answered prayer. In those immediate days, uh, there was a, there was a time when we were in the hospital, and we were praying that he would open his eyes because so that's what the doctor said. If, if he opens his eyes, he's, everything's going to be okay. But if he doesn't, it's pretty much not going to happen. We were praying that he would open his eyes, and um, somebody had texted Rachel. Well, we finished praying. Somebody, Rachel checked her phone, and somebody had texted her, like, "I just pray that Anders opens his eyes." at the exact same time we're praying it like, all right. Andrew's going to open his eyes. Like that's the, in, in my humanness, that was the God answering prayer, Hmm. but he never did. He never opened his eyes, Um, but, but yet he went to be with Jesus. And I would imagine he opened his eyes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, we felt the answer to prayer. Um, and we felt like God was answering our prayers. Uh, not the way we were wanting it. But we had prayed, you know, starting back in October. I had been praying that, that Andrews would tell people about Jesus. And he is. He still is. His story still is. And just kind of the, the opportunities that, that we've been able to have to share his story it's just continually an answer to prayer. that God is continuing to step in. Um, just a, a, lot of, a lot of scripture kind of has, has played a really vital role. Like um, Rachel and I uh, were led to 1 Corinthians 16, 13 as Andrew's dedication verse. Hmm. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, uh, be courageous, be strong we were praying that over him that when he's five, when he's 10, when he's 20, when mm-hmm. he's 30 that that's who Anders would be but um, so people started praying that over us and now we pray that over ourselves mm-hmm. that we should stand firm in the faith that we should be courageous and so that you know those those um, truths, scripture really, really were important. and gonna go back to Philippians 4 again, you know when we're sitting there and we feel the peace. like that was that was the kind of the clincher of, of
0: everything that and, and I you guys knew that verse or passage and prayed. so it was, it was like, Lord, would you do this? Yeah. Yeah. you know, we'll present our request before you. And would you give us the piece that surpasses yeah. all understanding?
1: Yeah. It, it was it actually my, be from you. Yeah. It was actually my verse of the year for 2018, the
0: year mm-hmm. before. Okay. So it was really on your,
1: and on your mind. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. And so that was, that was just huge. Um,
0: just to, to feel that. Yeah. Ryan, is there, thank you so much for all that you've shared and you've yeah really bared your heart and soul and been courageous and pointed us towards Christ in the midst of the trial and tragedy and grief that you guys have experienced. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would want our listeners to know about Jesus and his goodness towards you? So when we were in,
1: when we are in the hospital, uh, Pastor Paul uh, started to share and, and shared Quite a bit, especially when when we realized that Anders probably wasn't going to make it. Paul started to share from Second Samuel, uh, where David, uh, his son, dies, and his infant son dies. Second uh, Samuel twelve, I believe it is. Um, and he was he was sharing that as a as an affirmation and a confirmation of scripture that points to, because David says, uh, he will not come to me, but I will go to him. Mm-hmm. And so as a, as a confirmation of Andrew's is going to be in heaven, you will see him again. Yeah. And that, that was, it really was important. It really was, uh, for us a really important part of, you know, to not even really question that, to not yeah. get to that point where, we're grieving, and now we have to. You didn't have to you know, with that? figure it
0: out in the heat of the moment.
1: Right, right. So he was just bringing the truth of the, of the scripture. And afterwards, we both, both Rachel and I, went back and we read it. And all, we stopped at verse 23. Uh, but in verses 24 through 26, uh, Bathsheba gets pregnant and Solomon's born. And so. Uh, Rachel and I both just started to pray like, God, can we just be like David and Bathsheba? Can we just have a have mm. another child right away? Like, mm. can, can we just, could that be us? And four weeks after Anders died, Rachel found out she was pregnant. Mm. And it wasn't through IVF. It wasn't through infertility. She wasn't pregnant before. And that was like, that there, we've seen lots of crazy stuff happen. There's nothing crazier than that. There's nothing crazier than that.
0: That's really amazing.
1: Yeah. Than that. And now Elias is here. And it's, it was just further like confirmation that God's got this. And I know not everybody's story ends like that. I'm grateful that ours that ours has that as a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was that was that's really amazing um, to experience the miraculous as many times as we have, even in the midst of loss.
0: Yeah. Amen, brother. That, yeah, I'm really encouraged and uplifted by yeah you know, what you've been sharing and and telling us about God's work in your life and your family's life. Uh so I I had mentioned at the beginning that you're writing a book. And yeah. so yeah, what 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 can you tell us about that and what is,
1: you know, next for you? Also that's also crazy, yeah. Um so when I was in college, I had this like pipe dream that i would write a book and i maybe spent 25 minutes working on it and i'm like yeah not today probably went back to watching sports or the food network or something like (laughs) that um but there was i i I didn't this wasn't like something i thought of all the time sure but every once in a while i'd be like kind of i'd kind of think like i I was went to. Into history in college and so i I wrote a lot in college and um like go to grad school and write more and be like oh man something like writing a book just kind of sort of bounced around in my head every once in a while sure and then we went through everything and elias was born and the day elias was born kind of sat down and I was like, I wonder what it would be like to start writing a book about what we've been going through. Hmm. And when we are in the hospital, I took, I started to take notes in the hospital of things. Just, I didn't want to forget them. Sure. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know if it was God, like, Hey, you're going to write a book, start writing stuff down. I don't know what the reason was. I just didn't want to forget what was going on in the hospital. And so I kind of took that and I just kind of started writing and, and, then, you know, Elias comes home and he was crazy busy, but I brought it up at Bible study one day and one of my Bible study members was like, this is a, a group of FCA leaders. Um, he's like, you need to meet this person. And so I sat down with him and told him the story and he's like, man, we're going to write this book. Hmm. You're going to get this book written. So I've been writing uh, for a year, um, year and three months, mostly off and on ish. Um, the last six, seven months have been pretty consistent, and uh, I'm excited. It's pretty close to done, sort of. I don't know; it hasn't really been edited. A few people have read parts of it, but I'm just really excited because it's it's all about God is good, life is life is hard, and you know, I wouldn't choose this if I got to pick it out of a list of life experiences, but through it all, God is really good. And that's, that's what the book's about. So um, hopefully it gets uh, picked up by a publisher and, and gets published. And if not, the book is getting out one way or another, it's going to be self-published. I'm sure a number of us will help you (laughs) if if it comes to that. So that's, that's exciting. I'm, I'm excited for that. And to, just to help others, encourage others.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, brother. And I absolutely think you've you've done that uh, by sharing and being willing to do this and, again, being courageous. So thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast and pointing us to Christ. It really uh, has been a pleasure. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Blue Stem Project. It has been a pleasure having you. Uh, and again, we want to remind you that the Blue Stem Project exists to equip and encourage you in the suffering, hardships, and trials of life that come with health issues and disability. And we do this by helping root you in Christ and giving you the tools you need to be ready for life's greatest obstacles. it would be honored to take this journey with you. Uh, please do hit the subscribe button and tell a friend or family member experiencing health issues and medical disability about the Blue Stem Project.